After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to the Jack Cornfield Heart Wisdom Hour. We are delighted to share with you Jack's innate common sense and his clear, open heart. In order to continue presenting these podcasts, we need your support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com jack, and you can donate there, or you can go through our Amazon or Audible affiliate links. And that's another great way to support the podcast. Thank you for your generous attention. I have two wonderful, esteemed guests with me here today. Uh, Dustin Marshall, who is the creator of Feral Audio, one of my dear friends, and uh, the podcast Messiah, putting out countless podcasts into the universe, wonderful human being, and Jack Cornfield, renowned spiritual teacher, author of many excellent books on mindfulness and Buddhism, including my favorite, A Path with Heart. And uh, I thought it'd be cool for us all to have a, a nice chat, because Dustin, I know you've been uh, going through some stuff lately, and uh, it seems like, Jack, you're the master healer when it comes to helping people work through this stuff, so... That's that's a trip to lay on somebody, huh? The master. <laughs> you are. I'm sorry, but you are. You know, I was thinking, on a good day. I'm helpful. You're one Some of my teachers. You're. Anyway, I, I'll I do my best. I consider I'll you one my of my best. teachers. I'm sorry, but yeah. when I was well, thinking now, now, now I really feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but if that's how it's turned out. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I I, it, it is because oh of you. Oh, my God, I failed. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, there are many years ahead for you to both suffer and get enlightened, all of that, and everything in between. Oh, man, let's hope. But it is a, you know, it is a, a rough, bumpy ride here in this human dimension. And, uh, you know... Dustin, I know that you just went. You've you've been through a lot lately. I don't know how much you feel comfortable talking about. No, I mean I'll I'll be transparent about it. Also, Pass with Heart has been really instrumental too. I've listened to more of your life. It's only the book that I've read. I haven't finished it, but I've been. I was diagnosed. You haven't finished it. <laughs> no, I'm notoriously notoriously bad at finishing books. Keep, keep going. Um. So. Uh. I was. I've been having um, really up and up and down emotions, like uh, in a personal life, 
uh, my entire life. But throughout my 20s, it's just been a string of really bad, intense relationships, like really passionate ones, and then really tumultuous ones where, you know, uh, emotional violence, domestic violence, police have been involved. Like, it's just been a string of back-to-back long-term relationships that have been ended very intensely and uh the last one i was in which is definitely somebody that i've never loved more in my life we both got diagnosed within our relationship as having borderline personality disorder which is an emotional dysregulation disorder both cognitive and environmental that at some point from the ages maybe like two to five you uh your emotions are invalidated so you constantly need your emotions and yourself validated to feel real and so about a in october i've been in the program over a year now in october of last year i went in to get uh medication for what i'd been diagnosed with which was bipolar disorder which um i'm also may have and then I started medication which has helped my depression spells but then the second day there I casually had mentioned that my mom had borderline personality disorder and was untreated and I was just very uh, casual about it and then I came in and they're like we want you to fill this out because I had no insurance and I walked into a free mental health clinic uh, the Hollywood Mental Health Clinic um, in Hollywood and uh, they gave me essentially free treatment for a year but I was looking at this form and it was like you know tumultuous relationships suicidal ideation uh feelings of invalidation I was just going through and I was like wow this is me uh and so I've been in this program for a year called DBT dialectal behavioral therapy and it is like based off of uh some forms of cognitive therapy, CBT, and also there's a lot of Buddhism and there's a lot of meditation involved and the number, it's four courses that last year and the core of the whole thing is mindfulness. So I've been in this program, um, I've been fascinated with it, I've also struggled more and I, it's, it's almost as if my, it, my, it got worse. <laughs> For a very long time. Because it does seem time. like you went into the program. There was a moment where things were going great. Yeah. But then you end up surrounded by cops yeah. on the street at, what, 4 a.m.? Yeah. I, th- this is serious, man. Like, this yeah. is that's some serious stuff. What were the cops there for? Um, it was really... I have... My, my big emotional problems are rage and obsessiveness. And I was with somebody who was clearly um, done with this relationship and I was struggling to what I perceived as maintaining it or saving it was really, you know, beating a dead horse and crushing it and making my own problems worse. And although the reasons happened that were... Because I also get in relationships with people who are capable of really hurting me and I seemingly uh, get off on that or enjoy that. When you, I, you wouldn't leave his girlfriend. The answer is he wouldn't leave his girlfriend's 
front steps or something. He knocked and then on the... she called the cops. Yes. To say this guy is stalking me or whatever. That's right. Uh, it was not necessarily, but she she had she had done it in a bit of, where she knew she was safe, but she disappeared. She'd only come home at 2 a.m. She was ignoring me, so the only way I could get my medicine, which was stimulated by her, whether she was mad at me or not, which made me feel valid and real because she was looking at me angry at me or talking to me, I sat on her step and I pleaded for her to talk to me, which she refused to say a word, and then went inside. I stood outside her door and I was like, you have my stuff, please, two years together. Two years, and you won't talk to me. Two years. At least tell me to my face. And then next thing I knew, LAPD opened up the apartment building door, threw me against the wall, handcuffed me, brought me outside, put me over the car, and... um I was up laying over the back of a cop car and then another cop and just set my stuff next to me. And then eventually they let me go. She, because she, uh, she, she, she did it for personal reasons, but she also did it to kind of embarrass me. And then as and I walked... Maybe so that you would really finish it. Yes. It's like, okay, <laughs> in case you didn't get the point, we are really done. This is yeah. over. I'm going to have a team come and, and kind of put the exclamation underline in it. Our relationship is finished. Yeah, well, and, to put the period on it, about 30 seconds after, and I started crying because I was terrified because I'm terrified of police. They kill people. And I was horrified and embarrassed. And I was like, this is over. This is the last time I'm going to see this person. This is it. This is yeah. it. And as I walk away, she started texting me as if nothing happened. <laughs> So there we are, Jack. She started texting you what? As, as if, if nothing as happened. If nothing had happened. And uh, about a month, we did a month of about the back and forth thing until I eventually forced myself to, through with therapy, to not to end talk it. to her. Yeah, anyway. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Because um, it was, how do we say it? Didn't sound so healthy. Oh. But I thought Dustin. Uh, would be I thought having a conversation about this would be great because uh, my life has been punctuated by these kinds of terrible breakups and uh, I've never gotten married or pulled off a, a long-term relationship that didn't end in some kind of catastrophe and this particular one that I'm in right now I don't want to mess it up mm-hmm. but I watch myself I haven't like gotten to the level where of, of of what she hasn't called the cops yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Not but yet. no. You don't but, know what could happen. But you, you know, we, we when when you're when you're faced with love and you're in this experience, it 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 gets so, it gets so it gets so painful and so heavy, and you watch the mind. Well, it's painful for a variety of reasons. One is because when you love somebody, you make yourself vulnerable. You open yourself to them, and so that allows the pain to come in. But if you didn't open, then the love wouldn't be there either. That's part of what makes love so beautiful and also scary for us. And then the other thing that happens, which I know well from my own history, is that um, you bring to the relationship as you get close and tender and vulnerable and so forth, um, the fears and the traumas and the history from early on in your life, all the stuff that's unresolved and some of it may never be resolved exactly in this life, those all get get triggered. So when I came back from living as a Buddhist monk in the monastery and I was in this very 
peaceful, equanimous place, you know, very still, very mindful. And then I got into a relationship with this woman, first relationship I'd had in some years because I'd been celibate. And whoopee, first we had a great time. Oh, I'm not celibate anymore. We can make love. We right. can have wonderful food. We can do all the sensual pleasures of the world. Uh, but then all my old habits came back. I thought, oh, okay, I've been in the monastery. It's all gone. And they were like old clothes in the closet. And the minute I returned home, you know, they leapt out of the closet and my neediness my loneliness, my fear of being abandoned, yes. stuff from my childhood, yes. you know, my own unworthiness. Woohoo, it all came on and said, Here, try this on again. It fits really well. You know these. Right. And I started reenacting all that stuff again. Only the horror of it, which is why I think the things got worse for you. The horror of it was that now I could see it more clearly. Before it was all just huh. unconscious. Right. And now I was like in it and it was happening. And there's some way in which I actually needed to see it and feel it um, as it was happening with a different consciousness than just the unconscious replay of, of times before. Right. Uh, so it was equally painful. Um, you know, it really hurt the heart. Um, and then when I look really what hurt was underneath the struggles and the anger and the fear and so forth was that very deep place of shame and feeling like I'm not lovable. Yeah. And that's the place that hurts the most, you know, and I believe that about myself in some way for a long, long time. Is it gone now, that? Yes, it's gone. How's that? Hope. Oh, cool. Hope. I really <laughs> identify with that. Also, in A Path with Heart, you do talk about fears of abandonment yeah um and i was like i don't know in some weird per i was personalizing it because i was putting it through the own prism of my mind but i was like is he bpd too or does he understand dbt uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that was very poignant and also poignant to this this therapy that i'm in um and i don't you were talking beforehand about marshall and i don't know if you know her personally i do wow. she did a lot of zen practice as well and she's a really innovative and wonderful uh, psychologist. She's sort of the uh, the uh, Jesus Christ of all this stuff, uh, as I'm putting that spin on it. But she, I'll tell her that name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pet her ego. Um, but it is about my ego, fractured one, and it is about my drama and the drama of my life that I define my myself as and uh, or by. And um, yeah, it's like. Uh, it's but it's just the repetition of because when we were I've I had the same fights I mean word for word with her as I'd have with every girlfriend except it would it was snowballing and I was like I've had you repetition I've, compulsion is a word for it and we keep doing it over because we're trying to solve something some puzzle how do I learn to love where I don't get on this treadmill repetition compulsion yeah well, yeah right you, you just keep, keep doing it and you do it because there's some longing to make a connection and to do it right. So it's not like it's a horrible thing. It's trying to figure out how to do it, and you haven't figured out how to do it yet, right? I mean, but it's but what if the repetition compulsion is like behavior patterns that are completely mm. unacceptable? What if the repetition yeah. compulsion is... Well, the, no, I'm not suggesting that, that you continue to do it. I'm talking about the inner drive. 
that makes you do it again and again and this stuff comes out. It's know? like a broken machine. It's like a thing that just is stuttering. But then there's a moment in DBT you're learning it because you're, you know, the program is based in part, as you say, on mindfulness. Um, the Dalai Lama puts it this way. He says, um, you notice, mm, these thoughts do not have my best interest in mind. And you start to become the witness of your own catastrophe yes. of a life, <laughs> really. Yes. And you have a little bit of humor, which helps, you know, and you say, oh, my God, I could write some really bad poetry and some country western songs right now <laughs> about this stuff, you know. And, and, um, and because you're able, you have that little gap of witness and saying, well, I'm really in it. Even having a diagnosis, weird though it is, and it may not be completely accurate because we're not that, but it's a part of us, kind of gives you a handle and say, all right, well, what is this structure like in consciousness? You right. know, the structure of bipolar or the structure of, you know, which is partly genetic and partly um, hormonal and who knows what else and historical or the structure of borderline or what is that like in consciousness? Um, and there's a part of you that becomes interested and say, all right, I suffer tremendously from this, um, but it's not the end of the story because the moment that you signed up for that or you start to do it, this other part of you that's already awake starts to say, let me look at this game. Let me see. And little by little, not quickly, you begin to face the traumas and the fears and the loneliness and the lack of self-worth that's under there, feeling like you're just a piece of crap or whatever, you know, and unlovable. Um, in a way, with this witnessing, that brings in some tenderness, that brings in some compassion, because mindfulness really is loving awareness. It's not just being aware, but it's letting that awareness be steeped in some way in kindness or love and go yeah not only do i feel this way but on this very day in america there are 1.2573 million other young men who've just been dumped by their girlfriends <laughs> or whatever be way higher than that right? who feel but this very day who feel this stuff right you know um, and this is part of trying to work out what it means to, to love myself and then find a healthy relationship and these thoughts as the Dalai Lama says don't have the best interest maybe there's some wiser thoughts maybe there's some care and part of what changed me yes meditation helped and good therapy helped as you're getting and also um, get, being loved and um, being in a relationship with someone even for a time where they could put their hand on my heart as I do and say, you know, you're really lovable. I love you. You're, and I go, really? You know, and it wasn't just I'll love you for this week or this month, whether the relationship lasts or not. But there was some way in which I felt really seen. I felt seen in therapy and loved. And I think it's what Ramdas does. People go to Hawaii to these retreats that you and I have shared, Duncan, yes. um, and they leave drunk with love. Yep. And Ramdas does what in India is called the glance of mercy from a guru. He looks at people and he loves them so much and he gets to know them and he still loves you, Duncan, and he still loves me, Jack. Right. He just loves you anyway. And you go, but I'm so flawed and I'm so yes. messed up. And he says, I don't see the flaws. I don't, you know, you're beautiful to me. And there's a kind of love that happens that people leave there with this 
like a changed expression, like they're newborn in some amazing way. Right. Because they've gotten the love that they've been longing for for their whole life. And all these ways is really about how we can do that for ourselves and how we get it from others. How do you do it minus uh, uh, the... The, the be, loving girlfriend? How, or the retreat or the... How do you do it when you're sitting in your apartment completely alone with roaches crawling on the floor and beer cans scattered everywhere and you're listening to this podcast and thinking to yourself, great, Ramdas, okay, well, that's never going to happen. I'm not going to Hawaii. You guys are getting to hang out with Jack Cornfield. How how you, Jack Cornfield beca- became a monk. What about the people who don't have access uh, in, in this way that you're talking about? Where do they find the gaze of compassion from the guru it's all around actually but you have to start small um you start by getting up um and say i'm going to change the channel just as an experiment i'm in despair and lost and i feel unlovable first thing i think i'm going to do is pick up the beer cans and clean dump out the ashtrays (laughs) and actually make a little bit of a clean space around me physically and there's a kind of extraordinary thing that happens when you do that in the in the monastery. One of the things that we had to do was sweep the paths in the jungles and the forest. We had these little paths going to our huts. And I came to love sweeping because there was something about, you knew by the next afternoon that all the path would be covered with leaves because you're in a jungle in a forest. But there was something about making this beautiful clearing in which outwardly, it somehow represented that you could start anew. And the beautiful thing is it's never too late to start again, exactly where you are, whoever is listening. This is the moment where you can actually begin again if you want to. Um, And you have to sort of wrestle yourself up from the demons that have their talons in you and saying you're no good and nothing will change. And you say, thank you for your opinion. I know you're a state of consciousness. I appreciate your point of view. But apparently there is more to human incarnation than just your perspective. And you empty the ashtrays and you sweep the floor and maybe even you put in a wash or something like that. sheets. And then you say, not only am I going to listen to this podcast, I'm going to take a walk. I might even go to the local yoga studio and stretch because it's good for my body. I might actually get something decent to eat. Then I think I'll watch a movie or listen to a podcast or something that gives some other perspective. And it doesn't have to be, you know, some uh, grim duty about it. It can be playful. What makes you laugh? What touches you? You know, there are things that um, heal your heart. Right. Um, and then you look and you say, yeah, but the world is so much a mess. How can I, how can anybody not feel this? Um, and then you look and realize that one of Gandhi's closest friends was this guy named Khan Abdul Ghaffar Khan, who trained in Afghanistan, where we had this long running war and the Russians and everybody's fit, who trained a hundred thousand men. Uh, as the Afghani and Pakistani Northwest Province Peace Army. And they all vowed to resist the British colonial rule and to bring freedom to their countries, no matter what it took in the face of death, and to harm no one in the process, Mm. even if they were killed. And you think, oh, the world is full of terrorists, or the world is full of, you know... um, thieves, or greed, or hatred, and there certainly is plenty of that. But here, you know, 
it completely reverses your imagination and you start to see here's a hundred thousand of these you know afghanis with tremendous dignity and beauty saying um, we can live in a completely different way and right. they did they then many died and faced with prison and so forth um, you get up and you say let me see what other channels are out here and then you avail yourself little by little with the very things that nourish your heart because you you deserve the nourishment you're a human being and every child that comes in is supposed to be held and supposed to be loved you may not have gotten it much but there was a moment you got it and that is in there and that's the part that longs to, for love it's why you get in those relationships uh, you get in them because you want to love and be loved and you say all right let me start anew today can i um <clears throat> I guess in complete transparency, too, I just, while I'm in this room, because outside of this, I'm a little terrified of this, and both of you, I mean, respect you guys so much, so I think, um, but I actually do, while I'm here, want to, like, that, another thing with BPD um, is it's, it's, there's a lot of times no ceiling on emotions, like, there's your logical mind and your emotional mind, and what they call in mindfulness practice, and of course, is wise mind, which is, which is, really not uh which is finding that in the moment not ju not just when you're not in it just in the moment being able to control yourself um outwardly and interpersonally but so the next day from that event it was so over emotionally stimulating and i had been going through this break over two months and i can't describe the filth i was living in and how i was not cleaning and how i was uh not taking care of my cats and how uh, really ugly it had gotten. And so part of my BPD is uh, w what I wouldn't describe as suicidal attempts, but suicidal behavior. Mm -hmm. So the next day I had decided that I was going to to kill myself. I said, mm -hmm. sent Duncan a text and I said, I love you vaguely. And then that is that night... That's it? I love you, comma, vaguely? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I did it vaguely. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to, like, so that night I had I made this big drama. I And I'm not romanticizing this for people listening. It was very ugly, and I'm ashamed of it. Um, but in the moment, I was very romanticizing it, and I was whirling through the day, like, this is the last time I'm going to look at the sky. This is the last time I'm going to see my cats. I poured all the cat food in the bowl, gave me a huge bowl of water so they would be able to eat for days. I taped my front keys to my door. I didn't write a note. Jesus. I didn't do anything. And I had I had this noose that I tied that I just had in my closet because I um because anytime you're on WikiHow figuring out how to tie a noose, <laughs> you should definitely talk to your therapist about it. Yeah. But so it was just sitting in there. You so think. I got this bottle of vodka and I went to my I have this beautiful rooftop um and it, you can see downtown LA, the W Hotel, the, um, all, the Hollywood sign. Um, and I was up there just having this like moment. I didn't, I didn't put on music and I had put this noose around my neck and I, I, this wasn't an attempt, this was practicing. So I looked over the side of the building and I was like, oh, if I do this and it snaps, I'll just break my legs and I'll survive if I do it here. So I had put this 
noose around my neck after uh, drinking a whole bottle of vodka, and it went really far, really fast because it went around my neck so fast, and I all of a sudden was couldn't breathe, and then I felt the vodka coming up, and I was struggling to get it off, and I did not want to die, so I pulled it loose and then immediately started vomiting uh, a lot, and like vomiting, 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 and then uh, so... This is the farthest any one of my behavioral things had gone. And so I laid there, but I can't express like how cathartic it was. Because not only are the getting in these relationships and doing these behaviorals, like my cutting, as some people do, sure, they cut themselves sure, sure, to sure. control their pain. I, I had felt, whether it was all the vomiting, I'd felt like I had worked out. I had felt really warm in this thing washed over my body and I felt so comfortable and laid out and I'd gotten this thing out but it had gone really really far and so I had to be honest with my therapist because I was scared if I told them I would get in a three-day lockup and I can't do that because my career and stuff so I had also been reading the idea of like suicide in Buddhism that the Buddhist view on it is essentially neutral that it's like a lifestyle choice I don't necessarily. I, I is that I, true? Really? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I've been reading. Oh, it's on the internet. Oh, uh, lifestyle is, choice. That it's like neutral. You know, it's like a their lifestyle. view. <laughs> Suicide's so. my lifestyle. Yeah. Anyway, in all transparency, Brief lifestyle. Yeah. I I, I Dustin, just wanted to throw that out there. A, I I had no idea that. I know that the internet is messed in that way because you can find anything you want out there, pretty much. You just find what you want to hear on yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. But what about the well, next time? But wait, well, yeah, Sorry. but wait, I'm just, what about the next time? First of all, I'm just, um, I'm really touched that you're willing to share it because people listening, there will be people <clears throat> who are in that level of despair. And uh, there's a certain way in which there's a, a a real logic to suicide. The pain is so much, let me put myself out of this pain. Um, but then there's a big mistake in understanding. The, the good part is that you realize that something needs to die. The bad part is that you think it's your body. Because <laughs> in Buddhist teaching, in fact, killing is considered a grave uh, mistake and a grave thing to do that's really, really unskillful and makes terrible karma. And it doesn't matter whether you're killing s someone else's body or your own, so that what, whatever you read on the Internet is not accurate. Um, but the, mis the intelligence of the suicide um, is that it says something has to die. I can't continue to live this way. Um, and that's there's a kind of wisdom in that that this is this is hellish to live in this state of feeling so bad about myself of feeling so rejected of feeling so unlovable of feeling um, emotions out of control of and so forth. Um, it's not your body that's causing the problems. It turns out, and it could well be if you die <laughs> that you'll just get reborn with exactly the same problem to work out again, and maybe not even in L.A., but you might be reborn somewhere. The incarnation is a little tougher to work it out. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a, a, that the solution can happen on the physical level. 
And what happened to you is you actually had a near-death experience. And you realize, as people do who dive off the Golden Gate Bridge, and 95% of them die, but there's this small group who survive. And when they're interviewed, um, there was a book of interviews with all of them. Almost everyone says, I realized on the way down, this was a mistake. (laughs) And I'm so glad that I survived. You had a near-death experience that told you somehow in you that you didn't want to die, that you love life, but that you had to let yourself release, cathart, go through, somehow shift from the suffering to some other possibility. Um, And so I want to respect that that's really what you're longing for, is a new birth in a different way, but not through your body. And that's why whether it's DBT or other really, you know, deep and powerful spiritual disciplines or other forms that you can seek out, or for some it's travel, or for some it's some, you know, you know, doing some extraordinary sacred medicine in the right way, mm. in which you actually do let go of your old identity and find some new way to be um, that you're being called to. Why do people cling to this? You talked about it like old clothes, Dustin's experience of being in a filthy place, my clinging to this sort of attitude that is a lot of the times rather cynical and angry or just a general sense of habit. You know, that, that line, it's better to be wanted by the police than not wanted at all. That there's some way, in, or or that you know, there he. I mean, this is. I'm sorry, I'm talking it's a little too close to home. Close to home there. But there's something true in it. But also, how abused children want to go back to their parents, you know, because it's their parents and right. it's what they know, and so that identity, in the sense that this is this is the kind of this is the love that came to me. This is the way love comes. It doesn't only come this way. It turns out that love can come in a much more um, beautiful and nourishing way than being so messed and mixed with pain. But if that's all you know, our longing for love is so deep that we go back to that because that's all we know. Right. But in fact, now you know that that's not the only, only source of it. Right. Right. It's like there's a lot of nipples on the dog, right? You don't have to go to the infected, rotting, oozing one. There's a lot of nice, other... nice image, Duncan. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or as I, as as we said in the in the different podcast from the poet Hafez, um, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see you in better living conditions. Right. And in a way, you're you're shifting from the terrible living conditions, thoughts that don't have your best interest in mind, overwhelming emotions, terrible beliefs about yourself, and really kind of agonizing pain at times and saying, do I have to live in this? Maybe the first move is, you know, to step out of the apartment, to step out of that place. Well, and and days later, it was a series of events where I had put the rest of my money into my business. I knew I was unable to pay my rent. My car got impounded, and I was able to unable to get it out, so they auctioned it. So I'd lost my car, and I was, you know, doing public transportation every day and adding hours to my day, and I was just very, very stressed out. And the week after this happened, and I, I, I haven't. The only time I've actually talked about this was on Noah Lambert's podcast he just put out on MindPod. Uh, I, I just sort, sort of briefly talked about this, but 
that week after, I had a very, very good friend of mine who has gone through far more tragedy uh, this year. And uh, we had reconnected through that. And all of a sudden, something happened where I had never started dating a good friend of mine, but we started being very kind to each other and, and romantic. And for about a month, we've been seeing each other. And it is like seemingly very healthy. And we're being very responsible about it. Also, I work at this place called Starburns, which has taken care of me for a year and is a dream job. Um, and all of a sudden the door opened and they said, we want to make you an associate producer of this company. And they tripled my salary and they had no idea I was broke or anything was going on. And that it happened in days. And had I seen like what was ahead of me, had I seen like what was about to happen, like I never would have even considered that because although I am in a place where I feel like a lot of this is very meaningless um, and a lot of this is just repetition, whether it's like the repetition of time happening over and over and I'm doing these same, same things over and over and over again infinitely through all these different lifetimes or whether I'm recreating it for myself. Like all of a sudden there's these little things on the path that started making me feel a little more connected to my spirituality, which I had totally like been ignoring or not listening to. So all of a sudden there were these little ironic things that sort of happen, good things. But not to be dire here, because that's wonderful, but something, no, number one, if that ever, if ever again that happens, you d don't text. Right. Call again and again and again until I pick up the phone. Please. You can't. That, that would be devastating to so many people. It would be, and that's one of the things. It's so confusing because... Um, it's not just your life. Your life is interwoven with all these other people. Um, and it would be devastating. It would be, um, you know, you would leave the wreckage of guilt and um, and loss and suffering for so many other people. And they'd say, what did we miss? What could we have done? For years. For years and years and years and so years. So it turns no, out it's hurts actually... people. I've had friends commit suicide. It hurts people. You're not yeah, just hanging yeah. yourself. Yeah. That's the first one. The second thing, though, that, that concerns me is you're talking about a waveform here. And you're talking when you've when when you're hitting the bottom of the waveform, you're on the roof drunk with a noose around your neck. And then when you come to, uh, up and suddenly things are getting better, it's great. But what about when the bottom of the waveform comes again? What are some things people can do? Jack, when 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 that, you know, I don't, I I, I think I've completely messed up this word or, or misunderstood the lecture by Pima Chodram, where she talks about a term called shempa, uh, which is my understanding of it is the feel when you're pulling the bow back, when you're about to let go, let fly with the arrow, let fly with the words, let fly with the violence, whatever the thing is that you're stuck in. What are some things that we can do to expand? the moment before we do that act so that it doesn't happen at all. What are some things Dustin can do if he ends up on another roof? Uh, what are some things people can do if they find themselves in those last moments, whatever they may be, whether it's about destroying yourself or your life? I mean, I'm sorry. And I was embarrassed to reach out to you. And, and so, I mean, it was just a pure embarrassment. So Embarrassment. People yeah. are embarrassed. People, people would are rather shame. They'd rather people would be right. Sorry, go ahead. Rather, rather, rather die, you were going to say. You'd rather die than be embarrassed. Yeah. 
That's a that's an well embarrassment is a kind of death too. It's a death of your image of how you look, you know, and and you don't want that. So, um, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to be some pie in the sky answer. It's really very important to simply reach out to another human being in that place where you feel so lost and so suicidal. Um, or determined, or whatever it happens to be, the pain is so much. Um, the the medicine is really the hand or the heart of another human being, and for almost everyone, there is someone that they yeah. can con contact. Um, and then a different consciousness comes in that says, "Yes, and you know how that would affect me. Do you know how that would play out?" Plus, which you you act as if this is the end of the story, and it's not. It's never too late to start again. Poet Dina Metzger writes, Give me everything mangled and bruised, and I will make a light of it to make you weep, and we will have rain and we will begin again. And somehow it's not the end of the story, as you found, um, but that's true for all of us. Something needs to die. You can honor that. You can say I, the, the depth of the pain you feel is, is truly honorable. I respect it. You can tolerate it because what you see that needs to die is not your body, but the way you are in the world and the whole way you're living your life. Some deep death rebirth has to happen. And let's talk about what that would be so you can start again, you know. Um, but the main thing is to reach out <sighs> because another human being holding your hand or speaking to your voice, all of a sudden you realize, oh, the thing that made me feel so alone uh, isn't true. I'm not as alone as I thought. I'm not alone. Thank you, Jack. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you, you Dustin, so much for opening up about that. Yeah, Thank you guys so much. And um, yeah, you guys, listen to that. I, I'll post on the comment section of this website suicide hotline numbers call somebody don't don't text 800-273-TALK because even when my mom attempted it and I was trying to maintain it I, they were it's all where a lot of numbers you call or just send you to local dispatchers who really get a lot of who really don't take it seriously uh, I think 1-800-273-TALK they're on Twitter uh, guaranteed there's also... some kind of like morning radio show that has that same number it seems like a morning I'm pretty sure that's it I'm pretty sure that's it but uh, but it's all survivors and professionals but yeah thank you Dustin thanks for opening up about yeah, that for the honesty of it and the gift to people that there actually are other people who live through what they have um, and it's it's a chapter in the story of something that can start a whole new life in a new way that's ahead, and you simply don't know. And you're here for a purpose. The world wants you here or wouldn't put you here. <laughs> it even approves of you. Otherwise, you wouldn't still be here. Duncan, you're approved of. Thank you, Jack. Yeah. Well, and you the universe, obviously The universe approves. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank uh, you. Hare Krishna. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Jack Cornfield Heart Wisdom Hour. We appreciate your support, and we ask you to continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash jack. Look forward to seeing you next week.
Thank you.